This is HRT, a podcast featuring interviews with HR leaders, researchers, students, and influencers. HRT takes trending topics and research in human resources, sleeps them for 30 minutes or less, and leaves you with fresh brewed ideas on how to drive high-performing, inclusive organizations and create meaningful work experiences. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD, the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University. Welcome to HRT. I'm Bethany Adams. I love HRT, but truth be told, I will always be a coffee drinker. I am delighted to share today's episode with everyone. For this episode, Larry, our season four host, sat down with Terry Boyer. Terry is the founding director of the Ann Welsh McNulty Institute for Women's Leadership here at Villanova and recently appointed assistant vice provost for centers and institutes at Villanova. That's a very long title, but that just speaks to the very important work that Terry is doing here at Villanova University. Her work focuses on how gender impacts our experiences in education and the workplace, particularly for women studying and working in non-traditional fields or roles. Terry is widely published on these issues and a sought after speaker on leadership development, equity and inclusion, work-life balance and change. Terry is also a faculty member in our HRD program. She teaches our Work Family Career Considerations course, which is an elective that is part of our Inclusion and Diversity Strategy Certificate. Terry is a friend and colleague, and I am excited that you are all about to get to learn from her today. So without further ado, grab your coffee or tea, and let's jump right into the episode when Larry asks Terry what some of the equity issues she's seen uncovered or amplified as a result of the pandemic. Yeah, that, that's a good term. I felt like in late March of 2020 onward through the summer of 2020, I just had on repeat crises amplify inequities, right? And it was in my mind, no coincidence that as soon as these things that as Americans we hadn't imagined would be happening in our lives were happening all over the place, right? With these shutdowns and a pandemic and then social unrest and racial reckoning, all of these things are happening. And you're seeing how this kind of complacent perspective that many of us had taken in the workplace and academia, et cetera, was being laid bare or opened by the things that were then happening that, that flowed from that. And so the example of women in the workplace was one that came up almost immediately, right? So we know that women are more likely to do the care work that we uh, have in our lives. And as a person who studies work and life, we know that there's, you know, life is all around work, right? And what we were concentrating on was shutting down work, but then all of a sudden the life stuff is like right there. And we're trying to figure out how are we gonna navigate this? How are we going to deal with the fact that if you were a person who was able to work from home and was a professional able to, to do some elements of their job from home, you also had all of that care work right there. Sometimes visibly on a screen, if you were Zooming or using other technologies to get in, or 
invisibly and perhaps more stressfully <laughs> running around literally screaming behind you. And so those kinds of things were immediately put on the four. The other thing that was immediately brought up was the cracks in our education system. You had the fact that we are extremely reliant on the education system to care for our children, to provide structure mm -hmm. for parents who are working, and that teachers played a role and the schools played a role that when they were no longer able to do that, like distributing food to children who are food insecure, providing, like I said, that care so that people are able to work and not have to take care of that child care. We didn't have a solution. We didn't have a way to address that. So that was once again put out in the front. Then you also had the types of jobs that people had being showcased as, you know, more dangerous or not. And it's been a reality of the American workforce and, and even the global workforce that we have a lot of occupational segregation by gender. And so women are grouped in these jobs and occupations that were those frontline jobs, right? So education, so healthcare. You saw nurses who are even now stressed to the extreme and have a crisis where we can't cover healthcare. At first, everybody's out there, you know, applauding healthcare workers with their pots and pans at seven o'clock, you know, and that sort of thing in the early part of the pandemic. But now we look at a workforce that's been depleted by being sick themselves, by feeling like they're not getting enough resources at the societal level, by lack of respect or their feelings of where's my personal rights being seen in that. And women are significantly overrepresented in those frontline jobs. Same right. On the education side, teachers who had to go back into the classroom, again, majority women who are there getting sick, dealing with how parents and communities are feeling about policies that are putting out there, oftentimes out of their control. And, you know, a lot of women and a lot of other workers too, and people of color as well saying, why am I dealing with this? <laughs> like, why am I out there in this space? And if I'm not getting the respect or the want that I, meeting my wants in these spaces, why am I in here? So you see now these crises of, of mental health, of mm -hmm. physical health, and what in 2021 became the great resignation. Right. And is continuing. That has not yet stopped where people are choosing to leave jobs that are not in line with what people who in this reflective period that they've been able to have through COVID are feeling like this isn't what I want and or need. And maybe my survival, maybe that life aspect that goes all around work <laughs> is more important than the work itself. And that's a huge reckoning. That is a huge piece that we need to, as HR practitioners, recognize and do something about. Right, right. That's a whole big topic all by itself. But you, I think you're right on track in terms of you know, people reflected, to use your word, and said, you know, this is not what I signed up for. You know, it's it's definitely different. You said it's not going away. Do uh, you think we'll ever go back to the way it was before? 
Will, yes will there be no. some permanent permanent changes? Yeah, there will be. Um, I, there will definitely be some permanent changes. Uh, one is we did immediately in some fields recognize that we could have more flexibility than we were giving in the past. So productivity did not decrease significantly as predicted when everybody had to shut down, particularly in professions, like I said, who were able to access remote work or able to do flexibility. I'll give an example. Someone I know is an HR manager for a large uh, financial firm, not large, sorry, small, about 100, 100 employees. And their boss was very old school and said, nobody can ever work from home, et cetera. Things shut down. <laughs> and of course, you're not going to shut down the company. So everybody goes to work from home. All of a sudden, productivity is still pretty good. In fact, we're doing great. <laughs> and now this person who was leading the organization is having to say, oh, I guess we can have remote work. How do we then balance that? And wait a minute, we might be saving money by not having that really expensive downtown office space for every one of our employees. And so you see a lot of organizations who are beginning to rethink, okay, maybe that traditional model that we were so stuck on that people like me who were advocating for flexibility based on the research are now being validated to some extent by saying, hey, look, it can happen and you can have productivity. And then it's now, oh, wait a minute, this does work. So I'm going to have to check and change that. And I don't think that workers are going to be willing to fully give that up. Which brings up a bunch of challenges for HR. In fact, I saw a, a survey just recently published by Sherm, but I think it was run by Microsoft, so it's a little, maybe a little biased, that talks about 70, 70 plus percent wanted flexibility, but then there was also high 60% that valued some face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. And so that, that brings up an issue of how do employers then figure out the way to do that? What's the right balance? What processes and do we put in place? What policies do we put in place to offer hybrid work, you know, I yes. guess is the, is the term for it. Yes. And that I think is where the danger of a fully remote work environment becomes uh, really evident. Now that we've been two years or so almost <laughs> into this environment of either full or hybrid remote, we have the situation where many managers now, this isn't necessarily the good management that we teach, Larry, but, <laughs> but right. managers were using FaceTime as a way to control and not FaceTime the app, FaceTime, you know, one-on-one -on -one face <laughs> who's in the office as right. a way to assess performance and, and to some extent to limit performance, right? So it was who's, who's in their chair in the office at 7 a.m., who leaves at 6 they're the most productive, right? Those people who are there, that's not what the research shows. The research shows actually they're not the most productive, but that's the perception that a lot of managers have, that this person is very dedicated and they're there and they're productive. Then you take the situation where it's remote and you have people who are trained in some management perspectives to be looking at productivity based on that FaceTime. And when they go in and out of the office, 
but then you have no boundaries at all. <laughs> and you have this situation where people are expected now to answer an email in the evening uh, or over the weekend and to work if they're working seven to six, but they're not commuting, then that's an extra two hours in their day in some instances that they can get back and be productive, right? So you have this overemphasis on productivity. And there's a lot of researchers out there who are arguing the problem isn't this remote work that is out there that is potentially burning or stressing people out. It's overwork. And it's that perception in our culture and certainly driven a lot by our our business environment that the more you work, the better it is. <laughs> and that's not true for when we look at people as whole, when we don't think of them as ideal worker norms, right? And that is the problem is that we just have this expectation that people should work and work and work. Yeah, it's been part of the American culture almost since Europeans started colonizing America, right? Is that like yeah. that emphasis on work is, is there. That's, you know, if you work hard, you get promoted. You know, yes. if you work hard, you get ahead. Right. So that kind of opens the door a little crack into, well, all right. So you, you got into performance management processes yeah, and, and also then it brings up development and also career path. And particularly as related to women who were already disadvantaged in terms of the one normally having to stay home and maybe not being seen in that old school perceptions. So what, so what are your thoughts on that? So that is the, the other danger of the workplace is that we have immediate assumptions, particularly about women when they are doing remote work, right? So even pre-COVID, a lot of the research showed the perception that when a woman was working from home, she was also doing things that weren't work like laundry or caring for children or doing cooking and things like that. But when men work from home, they were working, right? <laughs> there's, that, there's that perception. And then it, it turns out that the data showed even during COVID when both men and women were home in heterosexual couples, right? With, with care responsibilities, that women were still doing more of the care work. So they were doing this overwork that everybody's doing, but they're also still trying to get their kids through schooling online, which we all know didn't just happen. You know, like you can't just sit a kindergartner or a first grader, which was my personal situation, in front of her iPad and think she's good for the next six hours. It's not going to happen. No, um, no, no, no. <laughs> and you you saw two things there. You saw men who were like, whoa. There's a lot of work that are that is involved in this. And so you did see men engaging in that, but you also saw that women were the ones who were reporting that they were putting more and more effort into that care work that's required. And elder care is another piece of that, individuals with special needs. All of that was, was kind of coming into play. So you see both this overworking and the, well, she's at home, so she can also cook all the meals and do the cleaning and, or the kids are going to come to her. You know, you, you have that push and pull that, that could, without the ability of the boundaries, create more stress and burnout, right? So there's no space for some people who used work as a space that was just them 
to be able to go to work and be focused just on work. My personal situation, I have two uh, elementary school kids, actually one that's now middle school, just started middle school this year. And during the pandemic, I intentionally came to the office, even though there was nobody here. <laughs> it was just me. And not surprisingly, one other mom over in the other building who also had uh, elementary school kids. And we would come because it was a space where I could focus, right? I had that choice. I had that flexibility. And that's more than I think a lot of people had. But it demonstrates on a single level <laughs> that creating boundaries and finding a hybrid version is important from the gender care work perspective. Now, the other thing that I want to pick up on that you mentioned is how do we deal with this from the kind of performance perspective and how do we create this hybrid version and talk about it from an HR practitioner standpoint? And what the data is also beginning to show is that for those of us who are working remotely the majority of the time, our networks are actually shrinking in our spaces. Mm. So in other words, I'm still likely to be highly engaged with my work team, but all of the stuff that I was doing outside of my immediate team is shrinking. Mm. And could be because we're overworked, right? And we're, we have no boundaries and we're out doing all that work and we don't have the time to extend to that network. But it's also very likely the fact that, you know, you're not walking down to the water cooler and meeting your colleague and saying, hey, you're working on that project. That's kind of related to this thing. And maybe I could pick your brain about it. And the danger in the long term for the workforce is that that's what we know drives innovation, right? Like that- right beyond our team, that the new things that we come up with are from those extended ties. So, you know, that narrowing of networks is really concerning from a workforce perspective and something that we need to address in our policies. So the way I characterize it is flexibility is good. No structure, no boundaries is bad, right? So flexibility And we see the benefits of that, particularly for those people who have additional responsibilities that may not conform to that uh, nine to five job, right? (laughs) But on the other hand, we see that having boundaries and structures and creating expectations of when people should be able to be in the office to interact is helpful. So from an HR perspective, do we say, okay, You can have a lot of flexibility about the start and end time, but we're going to hold sacred these three hours on three days a week when the majority of the office should be here. And do we set something up like an all hands meeting or even if it's for a half hour where people are able to interact and benefit from broadening their network from those, as we call the weak ties within our organization of people who we should be seeing on a regular basis, right? The other thing is particularly for newer workers. So think of the people who entered the workforce in May of 2020, or even the year before, where for them, those networks didn't exist or are barely growing. There have to be intentional programs to help expose those workers to more individuals within the organization it's not going to happen organically when you have a majority remote workforce 
And so we need to be thinking about, okay, maybe I'm okay because I've, you know, been at the organization for 15 years and I know a lot of people and I can still call Larry when I need something that I know, even though I haven't talked to him in two years, he's good. <laughs> but that's not true right. for workers. And so we need to have better formal program structures that allow individuals who are new to the organization or new to the workforce to build those structures. I had a student who, when she was in my class, had started exactly when you were talking about, right at the beginning of the pandemic, when everybody was out of the workplace. It was almost a year and she hadn't set foot in the building yet. You know, she hadn't met any of her co-workers face to face. You know, that's, she felt isolated and exactly what you're talking about. And again, about people as whole versus just workers, there's a significant amount of, from a, a social developmental standpoint that happens to young people who are entering the workforce where they're building life relationships. They're, you know, that from a societal perspective is something else we should be thinking about. Maybe that's a little beyond the scope of the HR manager. You know, no, no, no. I, don't, I don't think so. I was reading an article, Virgin Pulse. Like, what are some of the top priorities for HR leaders in 2022? And number one on the list was mental well-being. You know, you're approaching it a person as a whole rather than just a replaceable part, as well as hybrid workplaces and exactly talking about the kind of team building activities and engaging employees in different ways than what we used to when we had the advantage, I guess, or the ease of doing it on a face-to-face -face basis. That is the other thing that I do think that points to is how do we help our workers manage their time so they also create boundaries and structures? What sorts of policies can we put into place at the organizational level that help with that issue that we have of overwork, right? So I'm going to give you a really base example, right, of people who say, okay, we have back-to-back -back Zooms all day long, and, you know, you have a meeting from 10 to 11, 11 to 12, 12 to 1, etc. You don't even get the five-minute bio break that's needed in there. Isn't it a good policy to say we don't schedule back-to-back-to-back-to-back? You know, we mm -hmm. something within all of this amazing technology that's developed over time that says there has to be breaks in here. Like, is there a warning pop-up that you can do that says, you know, you've overscheduled here? And to, to us as Americans, that just sounds crazy, right? Like a warning, you're working too much. But on the other hand, again, the research shows that we're more productive when we actually work less and smarter, Right. We always say work smart, not long, right? And um, if we can work longer and think about what's happening in some other cultures where they're actually saying, your work week needs to be 30 hours a week. And you're actually gonna get as much, if not more done than a person who works a 40 hour work week. And those of us in the US are like 40 hours, that would be awesome, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so we can be really beneficial in helping create some of those structures or those boundaries. and. As a person who has advocated for equity in the workplace, that's what creates a floor that combats that ideal worker norm that we push so much, right? So individuals who have a lot of the life responsibilities 
which is everybody, right? It doesn't have to be moms with young babies, which is my argument for this isn't a gender issue. It's everyone's issue that we're overworking. Mm. If we create corporate or organizational policies that create those boundaries and fix those expectations for everyone, then we shift the culture and it becomes less of an issue of equity and more of a, this is what our workplace is like, and this is why you should want to work here, and this is how you're going to be most productive. The other, the other thought that came to mind was there are certain groups of people that don't have this advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you mentioned nurses, teachers, I'm thinking of hospitality, airlines, you know, those, those kinds of industries that may not be able to take advantage of some of this flexibility in the workplace that we're talking about. Any thoughts there in terms of what might be done? Right. Right. People don't quit good jobs for the most part, right? Like if, if you're, if you're satisfied and you're able to meet your own values for work and life, you're not likely to leave work, right? The reality is most humans in general like to work. They like to be productive. What that work looks like is different for everybody, right? And there are bad jobs. There are just bad jobs <laughs> out there. And so you, you have to be thinking, what is bad about those jobs? Part of that is COVID, right? So the super high stress of being exposed to a virus. So, so there's the danger side of it, but we're informed now, right? But then there's also the fact that a lot of the people who are leaving those bad jobs say they're bad for a couple of reasons. One, pay isn't enough to justify the issues that are there. You're seeing some changes in that, right? Certainly, at least temporarily, um, salaries have gone up significantly as an incentive to try and bring people back to those those positions, whether or not those stay that high, particularly in those hourly jobs, is going to be a question. But then scheduling is, is another piece of that, right? So particularly in fields, if you listen to nurses who talk about uh, even before COVID and there was a shortage, they would have these schedules come in and then they'd, be, they'd show up for work and be told, I don't need you, our census isn't high enough tonight. So go home, right? And that creates, particularly for people who are trying to uh, balance work and life, if you will, to use a term which I don't necessarily love, but <laughs> um, are like, okay, I thought I was going to work and I cleared my schedule for this and now I'm going being sent home. So scheduling issues is something that I think we really need to grapple with in some of these jobs. And that's true too in the retail side and the hospitality. Mm-hmm where you had a lot of just-in-time scheduling and it didn't really acknowledge that workers are humans and have responsibilities and not getting paid or not having to work or having to work on call at the last minute is problematic. And there are ways for companies and there are lots of models out there for how to do hourly work scheduling in a way that is respectful of worker needs. And then I'm going to bring up the word respect too, right? So part of those bad jobs is how we interact with, we as a culture and a society interact with frontline workers, right? I talked about the respect. We talked about that a little bit with teachers and educators and them having to be the front of things that are out of their control, but bearing the brunt of it. But then you also have 
restaurant workers who don't want to be the mask police constantly, but are faced with that. The tension that people are feeling right now, that uh, level of anger, and people are putting it out on those in the front line. How do we protect those workers in some way? How do we create a space where the dialogue is less about putting the onus on those people in the front and more about understanding that this is policy. I don't know what exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a, do you have an answer? <laughs> I don't know that there is one. Yeah. It's because I mean, it's a societal kind of a thing. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. It's a societal <clears throat> answer more than it is a corporate answer, I think. Right. And that's, that's kind of where we as HR occupy an, an interesting space there in that, you know, we do have to deal with the reality of the society, but we also have to think about what can we do even in small ways to help those workers not bear the brunt of it. You know, does a manager mm. step in more frequently and, you know, stop that uh, abuse that may be happening? Are there enough managers out there to do that? I don't know. But, you know, those are the kinds of things that I think of when we look at what are these jobs. And then, I mean, societal, I think we're, we are in a point of societal change, a crisis like this level, this global level is going to have societal impacts down the line, not just on our workplaces where we're seeing that immediately. And so that is unrest that we're going to feel in a lot of ways and going to have to be dealing with in our workplaces for a while yet. Well, it's been a been a fascinating discussion. I wish we had a lot more time to talk about this. And I very much appreciate your uh, viewpoints and perspectives and from particularly from the academic side and the research that you're seeing around women's issues and equity issues, because I, you know, I'm with you. I think we're going to see some permanent change here, hopefully for the positive. But it I will, hope so but too. It will, it will definitely put some additional emphasis on human resources role in organizations as we try and figure this all, whole thing out. Wow, what a great episode. Now you know why I was so excited for you to hear from Terry at the beginning. Thank you, Larry and Terry, for this learning today. That wraps another amazing episode. And yes, it's that time again. Whatever you're drinking, coffee, tea, or something a little stronger, we hope it will lead you to fresh brewed ideas that will help make work better for all of us. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of HRT. As your thoughts from today's episode steep, share with us what you are brewing using the hashtag VillanovaHRT. That's hashtag VillanovaHRTEA. HRT is brought to you by VillanovaHRD. To learn more about the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University, and for all the links and notes from today's episode, visit the Villanova HRD blog at VillanovaHRD.com.